0: Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, now as we open up to the scripture, we pray that you would open our eyes to perhaps the things we haven't seen, and that you would help us to be able to internalize and that your spirit would use it to transform our hearts. So may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last week, we talked about the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus addressed the idea or the topic about worry and anxiety. And Jesus tells us, there is nothing you really need to worry about in your life. Nothing. Because the things that you absolutely need, which is food and clothing, that will be given to you. And the prescription that Jesus gives us in order to be able to live into this kind of lifestyle of trusting God is to not worry about anything, but rather to put our focus and our attention on seeking the kingdom of God. And so he says, seek me first and everything will be given to you. And if you remember, for those of you who were here last week, we, I ran out of time. I only got through half the sermon. So this morning, we will look at part two of Let Your Soul See Good. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to use the Pew Bible in front of you, I invite you to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Verse 12. And this is what it says. I know that there is, and this is Solomon. Remember, Solomon was considered the wisest man ever to have lived. Kings and queens from all over would travel as far as they needed to, bringing gifts to this man named Solomon so that they could get his advice. All right, so all of us were always quick to give advice, right? Like, I always have advice to give. I don't know if it's always the best, but I have it, right? But this man, people were seeking him out so that they could get a word of wisdom from him. And this is what Solomon writes. Ecclesiastes is a book that kind of talks about the meaning of life and what's really important, those existential questions of the why of life. And this is what he says. I know that there is nothing better for them, meaning people, than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil or all their work or all that they do. This little verse tucked in a small book in the Old Testament, Solomon, the wisest man ever to have lived, says that there is nothing better for you, even living in 2015, you should enjoy your food, what you drink, and the, and the toil or the things that you do during your day. Now, if we look at advertisements, they will tell us that for us to truly enjoy life or for us to truly be happy, we need to buy the product that they're selling And they're not even selling a product. We know this. What they're selling is a lifestyle or a way of life or the kind of life that we could all have. See, there's this false notion that the more we have, the better the life we will live. The more money we have, things will be better. The more property we have, things will be better. But what ends up happening is is if we buy into that too much, then it becomes our whole life's purpose to get more, to accumulate more, to buy everything that we need. I know one of the areas I struggle with this in is technology, because like, technology is new almost every single day. And so one of the things that I've had to do is kind of say, I can't, it's going to get old anyway. Who cares? That's bad. It's a brick. It's slavery. You know, like, you know our, our phones, right? The things that are supposed to make our lives better actually enslave us. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that? How many of you have ever had your phone and you don't want to be bothered, and then everyone starts calling you at exactly that time? Does it ever happen to any of you? Or like, I don't want to talk to this person right now. I'm in my zone. So you know, sometimes the things that we think will bring us happiness actually end up enslaving us. And there is this false notion that the Bible kind of preaches against, that more isn't better. In fact, less is better. I remember just, actually not remember, but I was listening to this podcast a couple of days ago, and they were interviewing this group of people called The Minimalists. And I think if you can go to their website, theminimalist.com. And it's these two guys that were making like they were making hundreds of thousands of dollars in the in the jobs that they had. They were successful by all worldly standards. They had big homes, they had nice cars, they had several nice cars. But they both realized that they were living these meaningless kind of like empty lives. And so what they started doing is they started selling everything that they had. They just started selling it, donating. They said we were making so much money yet yet we had ridiculous amounts of debt. So they paid off their debt, they paid off their cards, they paid everything off, they sold everything. And one of the things that they kind of started to doing is saying, you know, the, the better, life is better when you have less. And so one of the things they do for people that say, hey, I want to try that, they do what are called packing parties. Basically, you do this is what you do, you take everything in your house, in the garage, inside your house, your toothpaste, your toothbrush, I mean, every single thing in your house is in boxes, and they're labeled, and they're kind of just sitting around, and for the next three weeks, anytime you need something from one of those boxes, you take it out and you use it. And one of the things that they were finding is that like 80% of the things in their boxes remain in the boxes even months after it was packed. So I started thinking to myself, I said, ah, oh, that's awesome. And so I was like, well, what would I need on a daily basis? And even, I mean, it was hard for me to think about putting everything in a box because even I've bought into this idea that the more things that we have maybe make life a little bit better. But Jesus says it's not about more. It's not about chasing the money or chasing the better job or chasing success. It's about learning to live in the presence of the God who created everything. There's another, there's another illustration. This last week I got a call pretty early in the morning And I kept getting this phone call, so I'm like, okay, it's probably an emergency. Someone must be in the hospital. There's a car accident. Someone died. And my friend says, erase the Facebook, uh, not the Facebook, erase the Starbucks app off your phone and take your credit card information off of there. I'm like, what? I'm like half asleep still, right? And he says, they've hacked into it. They're going to take all your credit card information or your bank information, and they're just going to take everything. And so part of my, like, sarcasm is like, well, the joke's on them, (laughs) because... Ha ha, hackers can have it all, all of nothing. You <laughs> see, it's, yeah, they're instilling like terror and havoc and they just are messing with people because they can't, but it's also about greed. It's about the more money we have, it's the idea that the better life will be and people will damage and destroy other people's lives just for more money. I mean, we see this all around, where people would rather put profit instead of the well-being of people. It happens all around us. So there's another illustration, and then we'll get back into the text. Leo Tolstoy, one of the greatest novelists of the 19th, 18th, and 19th century, wrote a story. And he talks about a peasant farmer who, a peasant farmer basically is farming for someone else, and, and if he has his own land, it's a very small plot. It's not yielding very much. It's maybe just enough for him to provide for his family. So someone comes to him and says, listen, for 1,000 for 1, rubles, or say $1,000, tomorrow when you wake up in the morning, if you give me 1,000 rubles, you will be able to walk over all of my land. And this person had a lot of land, and so he says, as far as you can walk, as far as the ground that you cover, that will be your land." And so the guy says, awesome, perfect. So before the sun rises, he gets out there and he starts walking and walking as fast as he can because the more ground that he covers, the more land that he can farm, the greater the wealth that he will have. He will be a wealthy man. I mean, he was, he was imagining what, I'm assuming, he was imagining what he could buy with all the money he was going to have. I mean, we've all done this, right? I'm not asking to raise your hand. How many of you play the lottery? Um, I don't think I've ever played the lottery because I refuse to have false hope. <laughs> But I've sure imagined what it would be like if I won millions and millions of dollars. I already know how much I would give to each one of my family members and then tell them, don't ever ask me for anything. <laughs> In the sense that I would give you guys enough to take care of the rest of your life. If you squandered it, that's on you. <laughs> my brother and sister are here this morning. so. Right? We've all done that. If I only had this much more monthly, things would be better. So... The man is walking and walking. At noon, he's starting to get tired. But he says, no, there's still hours in the day because he has to be back to the starting line before the sun sets. That was the deal. As long as you're back to the starting line. If you don't make it back, you don't get any of the land. So as the day went on, he kept walking and walking until he realized, you know what, I have to get back. So he starts walking faster and faster. And then he starts running all the way back until finally, as the sun sets, he gets to the starting point, at which point he collapses and he dies. See, this man was so intent on trying to gain more and more wealth that he didn't even stop to think about the effects that this was having on his life. The story continues that afterwards, the, the rich man's servants dug a grave. It was not much over six feet long and three feet wide. Kind of the irony of the story is that this man was about to inherit all this land, And yet what he ends up is in a a hole six by three by six feet deep. You see, sometimes we can spend our entire lives searching and going after the more, the better, the things. But the truth is is that those things, the Bible tells us, isn't what makes us happy. That's not what's meaningful. And so I want to invite you to continue with me and look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. The writer of Hebrews says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said this is God has said I will never leave you nor will I forsake you be free from the love of money and be content with what you have. See, the important part about this isn't that part, right? Because that we understand. It's the second part. It says, you can be content with what you have because God says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. It's echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 6 when Jesus says, look, just seek first the kingdom and everything will be given to you. Don't worry about all that other stuff. Just seek me first. So he says, be free from the love of money. In, in the first century, this, this kind of phrase, this word that's used for being free... From the love of money it was used of politicians and it was actually a virtue because they said if we could find a politician that can be free from the love of money then we know that he can't be bought (laughs) that's why we hate politicians because they can all be bought they are all bought they don't have our best interest in mind they have their pockets best interest in mind it's unfortunate but it's true So this was a virtue. People who are free from the love of money, we know that they can be people of integrity because they will not be swayed by the outside factors, but they will only be swayed by what God is telling them to do. And then that second word in here is content. And I'll show it to you in the Hebrew, in the Greek rather, just so you can kind of carry it with you. It's arkumenos, arkumenos. Be content. It's not just be satisfied with what you have. It's be content, be happy, be thankful thankful for what you have, knowing that if that thing that you have runs out, God will give you what you need to get through the next day. Remember, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, because that will have enough worries of itself. He says, worry only about today. Some of us have the tendency to look at our past and be like, oh, those were the good old days. If only I was in high school again, I wouldn't have to worry about very much in life. We've all done that, right? Maybe not high school, because I was filled with drama, more like elementary school, If only I was in elementary school. Now, one of my favorite ones is, if I was a little kid again, and I know what I know now, I would take a lot more naps. (laughs) Some of us have this tendency to live in the past wishing for the good old days. But you see, when we do that, when we try to live in the past, we try to reduplicate them. How many of you have ever done that, right? Like, there's, you had this experience, and it was unexpected, and it was an amazing time, and so you try to reduplicate it again. So you call your friends, the same people that were there, and you're like, let's get together at that bonfire pit on Friday night at 7.06, because that's when we all showed up, and we just want to relive that experience. But can you ever relive it? Never. So you see, when you're living for the past, you're going to miss out on the present experience you have with God. But if you're living for the future too much in the future, you're going to miss out on what God is doing today. And so the writer of Hebrews says, Be, ar- ar- kumenos, ar- kumenos. Be content, filled with hope, knowing that God will provide whatever you need. We can't see the future. This is a constant theme in scripture. But God does. And God will lead us. But he's not leading us in the future. He's leading you today. Be free from the love of money. To want to chase those things is myopic. It's too short-sighted. We like instant gratification, but the Bible tells us that that's not what real life is. So here's what this really comes down to. Trust. Do you trust God to take care of you? Now we say it in our minds, yeah, of course I trust God. But how do you actually live it out in your day-to-day life? Life in the ordinary, mundane part of your life. You see, we all know what we believe, right? We, we we have arguments with people about theology and about what we believe. That's what we do. But does your theology actually shape the way you live your life? Does it really shape the way you're feeling when there is eleven dollars left in your bank account and you have that bill to pay? And it's not because you spend your money on foolish things. It's just because that month there was bills to pay. Do you trust God to provide? Maybe, and it's not just about money. Maybe it's about relationship expectations, job expectations, living situations, where you're going to live. Do you trust God? When I was looking for a place uh, maybe a year or two ago, Right, I was going. We, we, I did what most normal people would do. You, you go online, you go on Craigslist, you look at everywhere that might have a place. Right, so I, you know I was looking. I was looking. Where am I going to live? And everything was super expensive here in Orange County and in the city of Orange. Right, so I was like, I'm just going to move into the office. Then I'm always at church. Right, <laughs> like Samuel. <laughs> Some of you are like, who's Samuel? Bible book, guys. Bible book, <laughs> first Samuel. But everything, and and I remember, and so my friend, a friend of mine, says, "Are you praying about this?" I'm like, "Duh, I wasn't. God doesn't care about where I'm gonna live. Craigslist has where I'm gonna live." (laughs) So I stopped and I said, "You know what? I'm not. I'm not gonna live anywhere in Orange. I just don't care. I'm gonna keep living in Fullerton. Rent's cheap. You know, my mom makes food. She washes my clothes. I didn't ask her to, okay?" So they start praying, and I said, God, look, I, you know, I, I just kind of placed it, and I said, this is in your hands, Lord. I'll live wherever, it doesn't matter where I live, as long as I have a shelter over my head, I'll be happy with that. And God opened these miraculous doors, not only to give me like, an awesome place, um, it's in a great location, and the, the, the landlords were able to bring down the price um, to, to a place where I could afford it. Not only that, God opened other doors to help to provide for that. Because you have, to, you have to live your theology in such a way that it's not just what you're saying, but it's how you're actually living when nobody is watching. Our, our kumenos, content knowing that God will provide. I have a couple of Bible verses that I just want to keep going. Um, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus again says, no one can serve two masters for a slave. And this isn't just a servant, but a slave will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You see, this isn't just me talking to you today. This is Jesus. This is, these are words of wisdom for all the ages, is that people will chase after wealth and more things and better things because we believe that those things are just going to make us feel better. But God says, that's that's just that's false. That's, there's not happiness in that. Yeah, I know sometimes, some of you are saying, like, but pastor, like, a little bit more money in my bank account will make some things easier. That's That's probably some truth in that, okay? There's probably some truth knowing you'll have money to pay for your food or your bills and all that. I get that. But what the Bible is clear to teach us, and I can't argue with this part, is God says, yeah, I know, but seek me first. I promise there will be a way. So don't put the words of David to the test. Put the words of God to the test and say, God, fine, I am trusting you today. Because Jesus says, if you chase after one, you're going to live a life of poverty. You may have all the money and all the things, but that is not living a life of meaning and purpose and even real wealth. Old psychologist once said, Greed is a bottomless pit which exhausts the person in an endless effort to satisfy the need Without ever reaching satisfaction, I read another story in preparation for this sermon of a Wall Street guy. He was thirty years old, so th- like three years younger than me, and he said that he went into this into the into the business world at like age twenty. By the age of twenty-four, he was already he already had made his first million. By the time he was thirty, the bonus that he received was three point six million. Now, I think. I mean, we could live off of the interest you make off of one million in a year, right? What is the interest you earn, anyone? Dave? What do, what do we get on ing? I don't know, three percent? Whatever. Okay, so maybe you have to work part time somewhere, but still, like, <laughs> <laughs> horrible at math. Don't ever ask me for math questions. Um, but like one million, I think I'd be okay. Three point six million. I think I'd be okay. I think I'd figure out a way to manage to, to live off of 3.6 million. So, this guy at the age of 30, he demanded no, I want 8 million in bonus. This is bonus alone, it's not the money he actually earned on an every other week kind of basis on the commissions. So, if he's making 3.6 million, he probably made other millions before that. And so they said, okay, fine, we'll give you 8 million, but you have to sign a contract that you're going to be here for eight years. At which point he began to realize this, this has, he hated his life. He had everything. He said, I had everything, and it was pointless and meaningless. There was no joy. There was no happiness. All I cared about was about the next million I was going to make. And I think from Eric Froome's understanding is you're to those who keep chasing after more wealth, more things, accumulation of things, you will never be satisfied with all of that. Paul writes to the young pastor, probably in his early 30s, he says, of course there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, akrumenos. For we brought nothing into this world so we can take nothing out of it, right? What do we take when we die? Nothing. You get a six by three by, how is it, eight feet or nine feet? Yeah, doesn't really matter, huh? But Paul says this, but if we have food and clothing We will be content with these. Is that enough for you? If you have food and clothing? Some of you are like, shouldn't he, he forgot to put the third one, shelter. But I don't think he did. He says, if you have food and if you have clothes, clothes, you have everything you need. You see, because we think that this life is about me. How am I going to enjoy this life? What am I going to get out of this? Where am I going to live? What is my career going to be like? What is my retirement going to be like? When I turn 65, will I be able to retire? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live? You see, someone sold you the false notion that your life is actually about you. You're like, oh, pastor, that's harsh. If we believe what the scriptures teach us, Life isn't about you. Life is about God. You see, the Bible isn't a story about how you can get the most out of life. I would even go this step further and say the Bible isn't, I've heard people say it's a guidebook for salvation. No, that's like in one sentence. We don't need a whole book or 66 books. The Bible is a story of who God is and how God can be counted on to be faithful for all his promises. And it is this God who has promised to take care of all of your needs. But you see, when we chase after the things that we think we need, it's like we're telling God, You're not, you don't know exactly what I need. This is what I need. Life is not about you. It's about how you can live in such a way you are giving glory to God. And that's hard. That's hard. That's a life's task. That's your whole life. You know, some of you are like, yeah, but pastor, I hate my job. I get that. Like, I've worked jobs where I hate sitting at a desk from 8 to 5. I get that. But there is always opportunities even within those 8 to 5 hours where you can be serving and honoring God. How you do your work is a representation and a witness of who and what you've given your life to. So maybe your job, you don't like it, but God can use you even there. You see, God has chosen you to participate in spreading his love wherever you go. The Bible tells us that you are the aroma of Christ wherever you are. So for those of you who are still in school and you're just like, I hate school. I've been there. (laughs) Hate homework. (laughs) It's from the devil. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But you know, even in school you can share the love and goodness and grace of Christ even there. Paul says, if we have food and if we have clothes, we have enough. Because life isn't about me, it's about what is God going to work through me in order to bring honor, glory, and a testimony of who this God is. And we can. Keep... if that's not enough and if you're not convinced, when Jesus, when God in the human flesh teaches people how to pray, One of the lines in this prayer is this, give us this day our what? Daily bread. Is it give us this day our paycheck for the next month? Give us this day our bonuses up front? Give us this this day our retirement for the rest of our life? I'm not saying those things are bad, and you'll see at the end what I mean. But when Jesus teaches people how to pray to him, in essence, It's give us today, this day, May 16, 2015. Give me today enough bread to live. But you see, we're gluttonous, and we want more, and we want three meals a day, three square meals a day, or we want six meals a day, plus, you know, um, extra supplements and shakes and vitamins and juices and sodas and carbonated water. (laughs) That's me, (laughs) carbonated water. And God's like just worry about today. I promise I will take care of you. And if you're one of those people that today you said, I don't know what I'm going to eat, God's provided a potluck for you to join us. (laughs) Paul then goes on to say, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now Paul, we remember before Paul was converted to Christianity, Paul was a Pharisee. He was like a Pharisee among Pharisees. So Maybe like, this is a really bad analogy, okay, so don't, I'm not, it's not a negative one, but if he was like a conference president, for instance, like he had people under him, he was like going all over the place, he was a man of authority. He was a Jew among Jews, he called himself. That meant that he followed the laws well, he was looked well upon by his community. This was, I mean, he was an awesome religious guy. And he says, all of that, my credentials, my ordination, all of the accolades professional that i have received he says i consider all of those things a loss they're meaningless for the sake of christ because he gave all of that up because he followed where god was calling him remember paul had probably a, a fairly lavish life you know if he was living today he probably had a house with three beds two and a half baths and maybe two maybe two car garage he probably would have had a, a week you know commuter car and then maybe a weekend car Right? So he probably would have had that white picket fence. He would have had a very comfortable life because of his position in the community. But when Jesus encountered him and Jesus says, come and follow me, he leaves all of that behind because he knows that he's going to forsake everything that he was. He was going to give up on his faith and on his religion. And when God calls him, all he was going to have was what? Food and clothes. You see, Paul wasn't just preaching this philosophical understanding of how life should be. He was, he was writing what he was actually living. This is a guy that was... You know why, why he doesn't say if you have food, clothes, and shelter, you will be content? Because you know what his shelter was for most of his ministry as a Christian? Prison. He spent most of his time in jail, not for looting or rioting, Well, maybe he incited some kind of riots because he was spreading the gospel of Jesus and people weren't liking it, right? The authorities didn't like it. So he's like, look, food and clothes is all you need because if you need to, you can go to prison. I mean, it's a tongue-in-cheek, of course. We don't want any of you to go to prison. But... He didn't care about all that other stuff. He didn't care about horses. He didn't care about chariots. He didn't care about all that other stuff because all that mattered to him is that God had counted him somehow worthy to be able to be one of his spokespersons in the world, and that's all that was meaningful to Paul. Is that enough for you? Is it enough for you to just go wherever God leads you? And some of you are saying, but I don't know where that is, right? School's ending. I don't know where that is. And and Paul would say, you don't have to know where that is. Just trust God, and He is going to lead you. You may not know until the day before that, that next part of your life begins. How many of the, That happens to all of us, right? God, God, like, I think God has a sense of humor. He's like, "Let's just see how long I can make them wait." <laughs> I don't like that. But God's like, just trust me. Trust me because I have this all under. Trust me. I spoke universe into existence. The next part of your life is going, it's already taken care of. And so we continue. Paul says, What is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them, what is that word? Rubbish. Garbage. Um, one, one Bible translation, the message Bible calls it dog dung dung. Like dog dung. He says, everything. Everything we think is so important in our lives is rubbish. He says, "I consider everything." The Greek word for everything simply means everything. (laughs) Your house, your cars, your 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 possessions. Look, this is a sermon that's speaking to me because I have a lot of possessions, and it's hard to hear a message like this because the things that I thought I needed, God's like, you don't need any of that. Do you have clothes? Are you hungry? Or do you have food? Because I'm always hungry. But do you have food enough so that you don't die? you have everything that you need? Everything else—titles, careers, fun stuff—Paul says all of that is worthless, meaningless, rubbish. So you don't have the house that you want in heaven. You'll have a mansion. You don't have the car that you want in heaven. You're going to fly. I don't know if that's true. (laughs) The Bible doesn't teach that. But if angels can fly and we make it that far, I'm hoping. Your bank account doesn't have what you would like. So what? You don't have the latest technology? Who cares? Paul's like, who cares? What he would ask is, are you living your life in service to God? Because Paul knows that if you are living your life always trying to serve God and serve others, that that is where the most meaningful aspects of life come from. He says, I count everything as garbage and trash, that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. What was the most meaningful to Paul was knowing that he is in the hands of the Creator. Knowing that it isn't anything that he can do, but everything God has already done. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I think there's like one more verse. Now, for those of you who are wealthy, for those of you whose bank account has money in it, and you don't have to use it to get through the rest of the month, for those of you who have savings and good retirements, give it all away. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what I'm saying. This is what Paul says to those of you, so you don't feel like I'm... We're judging you, because we're not. God needs you to be wealthy, and you'll see why. As for those who, and, and for those of you who are saying, yeah, I wish I was wealthier, I think that the reason God gives wealth, and the Bible will teach us this, that the reason God gives wealth to some and not to others is because those whom he gives wealth to who are in the community of Christ aren't going to be selfish and hoard it all for themselves, but rather they're going to be generous. So if, if perhaps you, you aren't getting that wealth that you need, maybe it's because God's like, you, your, your priorities are wrong, so I'm not going to give you more. So just letting you know. As for those in the present age who are rich, command them not to be haughty or boastful or or arrogant or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches because what you have today you may not have tomorrow. But rather, have them put their hope in the God who richly provides everything for us for our enjoyment. They, the rich, are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready. To share so there's nothing wrong with being wealthy but he says the real wealth and this is for those of you who wish you had more true wealth in this world isn't what we see in the movies the real wealth you want to be wealthy wealth is found in doing good works being generous and always ready to share. And if you don't have the money, then you can share your time or what resources you do have. How many of you want to be wealthy? This way. Yeah. This isn't glamorous. This isn't what TV teaches me. This isn't what I wanted when I was in eighth grade. This isn't what I wanted when I was like graduating college. <laughs> but true wealth according to the scripture. Now, I'm not telling you according to what the world says, but according to what the Bible says, Real wealth isn't money or things. It is about doing good for others, being generous towards others, and sharing what you do have. If you do that, you will be wealthier than even Bill Gates. Unless he's doing a lot of good, then maybe you're equal wealthy, but you understand what I mean. And when you do all of this good, Paul says, you store up for yourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. According to the scripture, real, genuine, awesome life is doing good for others and being content or happy or even thankful for having food and clothes. Well, you'll say, well, even homeless people have that. Yeah, because God doesn't exclude anyone from his care. I think I have one more slide. When we put our cares in God's hands, he puts his peace. preach from this stage every week what we find in scripture. Because we believe that what the Bible tells us we can, we can base our lives on. Because we believe that it is the God who promises who will be the God who fulfills. And so we do this We preach from here, not what you're going to hear in the world. You're not going to hear from here what you're hearing out there about happiness and meaning and wealth. What you're going to get here is, to the best of my ability and whoever stands up here, isn't some false gospel that if you're only good enough, then God will bless you with material possessions. We're not going to preach that if you're only good enough, God will love you more. We're going to preach that we are broken and yet God fixes and mends us. God will provide for you so that you may then live your life in service to the God who has your future already in his hands. Will you pray for me now? Heavenly Father, we, um, we don't like it when you put these things in the Bible because it goes against how we see the world. But we know that your Holy Spirit is working on everyone who is here this morning. Father, for those who are young, may the message this morning shape how they see the rest of their lives. For those of us who are in the midst of our careers, may you help us to reevaluate what is really important. For those who are further along in life's journey of life, may you allow them to be able to see that there is so much for them still to do for your kingdom. And so, Father, we thank you that you will provide food and clothes. May that be enough. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.